Hello there, my name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Most anglers will be familiar with the term Grand Slam, the targeted catching of three of the best species available in any given 24-hour period. The Americans are very big on this sort of thing, and to be fair to them, there is a definite level of achievement there, depending of course on the three species you choose to target. A Colwyn Bay Grand Slam, for example, of a dogfish, a whiting and a dab, is hardly going to have people flocking across the border into Wales. Not even the prospect of a super slam, by catching all three of them on the same trace and at the same time. But tarpon, bonefish and permit, now that's another matter, and the one most widely recognised by Grand Slam enthusiasts on the shallow water inshore sport fishing scene. In part because it is a genuine challenge. Certainly because these are three major sport fishing species, but equally because it is realistically achievable, though probably never easy, from a small boat with a limited operating range. Each of these fish demand immediate respect in their own right, but fishing for them as individuals, where either numbers or size is often the main objective, is a very different proposition to catching them all on the same day, when they then become urgent target names just to be ticked off a list. With me is Graham Pullen, who over the years has devoted a great deal of his time to all three species. So what is it then about this particular three fish combination that makes it so very special? I mean a lot of fish in warm water in the tropics do actually fight harder than all the stuff we're going to catch in British and European waters. I guess that's just a water temperature thing. Of the three, the bonefish, the tarpon and the permit, I suppose, you know, history has it that the fastest swimming fish in the flat water, and the skinny water as it's known, is the bonefish. But in fact, you know, if you hook a tarpon in comparatively shallow water, say three feet, three feet or less, you know, it does the same thing. It's still a hard-running, long-fighting fish um, on heavier tackle. So it's, you know, it's, it's all purely relative. Again, with a permit, you can catch them on light tackle, you can catch them on medium tackle, but they, they do still pretty run as, well, really as far as a, as a bonefish goes. But, you know, if you take a, let's look at the bonefish first. They are the skinny water, you know, they're a missile, they're a bullet, an amazing fish. A bit like a, a mullet as, as far as spookiness to catch uh, you know, you can catch them really easily. On the other hand, you know, they can be an absolute nightmare. You know, if they're, if they're not switched on on that day, it doesn't matter what you throw at them, and it does have to be a careful cast in uh, all situations, you know, you're not going to catch them. Um, the first bonefish I caught, uh, I don't like to say it, but it was well, about 1979 in Bermuda. That fish was about five pounds. I had several trips over to Bermuda uh, fishing with a guy who was a fisheries officer over there called Pete Perrinchief. And uh, I just remember that trip. I I caught loads of coarse fish over here, you know, and pike and bits and bobs and all the barbel and chub and stuff like that. So I thought I knew a thing about fighting powers of fish. Well, the first thing we did was to do a test on the fishing rod I had, which is a, just a standard eight-foot spinning rod, fixed ball reel, uh, six-pound line, which I remember had six-pound line on it, probably about four years old, knowing me. But uh, Pete took me over and he said, you know, go across there about 30 yards, he said, and uh, I'll take your, your line in the other hand and, and just see how but you can bend that fishing rod and he said I'll put it on a spring balance so I put a good bend in this rod of what I thought was a good bend I'll never forget this it was about a pound two a pound three something like that one pound two one pound three ounces so he said it's not really enough to fight a bonefish properly Graham you're just going to get the spool emptied so we changed positions he took the spring balance he said now tell me what you recalled on this rod it's my same rod he said if I break the rod I'll pay for it so he couldn't be fairer than that you know this is a light tackle expert a full you know, IGFA class, light tackle expert. And he pulled just under four pounds with it. You know, I couldn't believe it. Um, and after that, it was a turning point for me. I used to go fishing with him for bonefish and use uh, small lures called a wiggle jig, which I remember, tiny little rubber shrimpy thing. And I actually went on my own the following year out to Bermuda. I caught maybe three or four with Pete, me about five pounds, which was a, you know, good scrapping fish. Uh, but I went out on my own with a wife and uh, had a holiday out in Bermuda. And I remember fishing a public beach over there and I actually, you know, cast out, stalked, cast one out and caught one all on my own. And, I, and that's the only bonefish I've really um, brought back at it in a case. That was seven pounds, one and a half ounces in Bermuda, which is very good bonefish in. The largest bonefish I've had in Bermuda, again on, on, on a wiggle jig, was called, uh, it was a nine pounder, which again I, I caught on my own. So I was uh, dead chuffed with that one. Moving on from there, I progressed... Well, which was a big, huge stepping stone, which to the Florida Keys. Um, I must have had about two trips to the Florida Keys. Not great fishing, because you used to read about, uh, you know, what was caught there in the late 70s and 
prior to that, obviously, I was over in the late 70s. Uh, and I met up with a guy at Bob Mary's Marina called uh, Richard Stanzik, who was actually a professional guide. And he guided, if, if this makes sense, one of Florida's top guides to the world record bonefish on a fly. So that's how good he was. The guides charted him as a guide. And that fish was up around 14 pound 3 or 14 pound 6 on a 12 pound fly tippet. I believe it's still the uh, current world record there. Uh, as soon as I met Richard, things turned around big time. The first afternoon I went out with uh, a friend. I spotted a bonefish, cast a shrimp at it, and uh, got that. That was about seven, seven and a half, and he obviously realised I'd done a bit of bonefishing. And on other trips I've been out with him, mostly fishing shrimp in the shallow water for what's called tailing bonefish, where you see the tail sticking up out of the water in about six or eight inches. Um, you're looking for the wake of a, a moving fish. As it moves through shallow water, it breaks up the regular wave pattern put a slight disturbance you can actually see where they are uh, we had seven in one evening which is sort of outlandish bone fishing and from bait fishing which i thoroughly enjoyed uh, richard obviously moved me across onto fly fishing for bonefish which was a uh, excuse a pun a whole different kettle of fish you've got to present the fly to them very very delicately it's got to be put within about three feet of them you might have a crosswind you might have a bit of tide you got you know everything sort of seems to be working against you every time i go fly fishing it's never working right but the best fly fishing day I've had, ironically, because I like fishing on my own, was uh, on an expedition with Chris Dorn. I think it was a features editor of Angling Times and other publications. And we went on a trip, press trip, out to uh, Bahamas. And we'd been with a guide and we caught, wait for this, nothing. We caught no bonefish at all. Um, so not very happy. I got up at dawn one morning because I thought I'd seen bonefish around in front of the hotel, as stupid as it sounds. And it was a very, very cloudy day. I can always remember it. And I was hooking fish out the front. They're not big fish, like two pounds or so, up to about four pounds. And I actually finished with 12 bonefish on a fly rod before we left at 12 o'clock to get the uh, plane back to Florida. So that was the most outlandish, weird day with no guide or anything, just totally blind stripping in just before the, the storm, which I understand the weather like that can uh, turn them on. Uh, the largest I personally had, just I've never broken 12 pounds, just under 12 pounds, but the most um, incredible catch I had was a game with Richard on the fly. He used to take me out in the evenings. We actually had a double header of uh, 11 pounders, which are, you know, pretty huge fish on a fly rod. So you've seen a bonefish really smoke off about 100 to 125 yards of hot fly line going through your rod rings and fingers. You know, you have to realise just how lucky we were to get those two fish. And obviously they're not killed. They're both brought in and uh, netted, photographed uh, and released. As to the biggest I've ever seen... Again, Florida Keys, Isla Marada, if you look in the IGFA books, uh, most of the um, uh, world records come from the Isla Marada area. One day I was just uh, sitting around chilling as you do, waiting to go out fishing. Richard said, you better go over to the bait tank. And I had seen a crowd over there. He said, guys, come in with his guide. They brought it in the back of the boat, caught one, I think it was on shrimp. Uh, you know, really, really monster bonefish. They were keeping it alive in the uh, Richard's live bait tank, you know, just to, to get it officially weighed. And that fish was gargantuan across the head. I can always remember it. I, I got pictures. I, I got a couple of slide pictures. 15 pounds, 6 ounces. So that was absolutely enormous. Now, if you wanted to go bone fishing, I'd say for numbers, if you just want to catch fish, you cannot beat the Bahamas. This is bait. This is shrimp. This is jigs. If you just want to go and experience the incredible power of a bonefish, the Bahamas, without a doubt, is the place to go. However, there's a couple of other places. Christmas Island's worth mentioning. And there's some, I say they're new atolls, they've obviously always been there, but they've recently been opened up for fishing, and that's in the Seychelles. To the south of the Seychelles, I've, I've caught bonefish and uh, got it on video as well from one of the atolls there called uh, De Roche. Well, even further south from that, I think two or three hundred miles further south, there's a group of atolls that are getting some big numbers and quite big fish from there. Uh, you know, so they are all over the place, but they're a shallow water fish. The record, the world record, uh, far as I recall, was caught from Zululand in Africa, uh, fishing excess of 20 pounds, so I mean an absolute monster. I think there's actually some subspecies of bonefish around as well. The ones I caught uh, in the Seychelles, they look, they look sort of very thin. They just didn't look like the Florida fish, maybe. It was the feed, I'm, I don't know, but I just got the feeling that there were sort of subspecies of bonefish. Florida Keys, you will get probably more big bonefish than anywhere, and obviously you've got all the guides that you want there. You can either go doing it yourself, I've even caught them leaning rods up against bed chairs, where, you know, casting shrimps out uh, from the front of uh, hotels there as well. So they come close to shore in that shallow water. you just got to be very careful, very quiet, have the right tackle, have your drag set so they can take line. But this is the thing, folks, they've got to take line under a lot of pressure. 
you cannot afford to have the spool backed off of the drag light because they're just empty. I mean, I've had to jump in from a skiff and swim after a fish. Got that all on video as well. And it spooled the reel. I'm still swimming and it still dumped me and popped the line. So they are an absolutely fantastic species. And yes, they do have a cult status, no question of that. Quite rightly so. If you get the chance to catch one, yeah, my advice, absolutely, you've got to take it. So what would you recommend in terms of specific tackle and tactics? Well, there's a sort of variety. I suppose there's a sense of variety. There's three basic ways I'd suggest you go for bonefish. If you can't get it back, you can use jigs. You know, small ones called a, a Phillips wiggle jig. Uh, but basically any little tiny little uh, lead-headed jig uh, with a rubber tail or some tassel behind it. Brown is a very good colour. And you use a fixed spool reel. Make sure it's a deep spool one. It's got at least spool 300 yards, at least 300 metres of say 8 to 12 pound line I really I wouldn't go sort of 4 and 6's on bonefish even for like a 5 pound bonefish because they really do uncork on the on the on the hook up they're gone you know 8 for spinning rod 9 for spinning rod that's about uh, about the average size you can buy lots of them in America you can get them in the supermarkets over there little outfits and um, for the jigs the most important thing is I find is tying what I call a loop knot which you know uh, you guys can look up on uh, on a knot tying uh, thing on Google and find out. It's a loop knot. It's basically so that the lure can is not tight to your knot. Your knot is loose and the uh, the jig can swivel and wobble around and give the lure plenty of action. For bait fishing, there's two sort of baits I use really. In the Bahamas, I use conch, which is spelled C-O-N-C-H. So it looks like conch, but it's called conch, and it's uh, you know a, a giant shellfish that they break open, split open, and use the meat inside the bonefish absolutely go nuts for this in florida they're using live shrimp and they and they swear you must have live shrimp well you know trust me i caught them on frozen shrimp and fresh frozen shrimp as well they just like shrimp and by the time you skewer something like say a 3-0 bait holder hook through a live shrimp trust me it's not too live anymore again you know i set the drag fairly tight so you can wrap your hand around it and pull, pull it off under pressure you want a good bit of drag on there Fly fishing is, is, you know, people like to think that's a cult way of fishing for bonefish and perhaps they think they're a superior being by uh, catching them on, the, on a fly. No, you're just making life more interesting for yourself and putting the odds in the fish's favour as well. So if you, if you think you're a better angler, fly is just a different way of catching the bonefish. Benefit of uh, fly fishing is you've got a small fly, you can drop the fly closer to a shallow water bonefish and it doesn't make such a big plip, so you can actually put a fly much closer to a bonefish and not spook it than you could do with bait. Fly lines, you've got to make sure that you do get, well, they call them a bonefish taper for bonefish, you know, makes no difference really, it's a forward taper. But what you do want to make sure you get about at least a nine weight, a weight forward nine weight, because you've got to punch into wind as well, that's the other thing you've got to watch about. Must be floating so that you can actually lift it off and, you know, do a recast if you, if you screw up on the first cast or the bonefish doesn't take it. You might get three shots maximum at each bonefish, you know, before they'll either spook, see the boat, or they're gone. Again, I use a, a nine-foot leader tapered down. Uh, might use 15 pounds straight off uh, with a nail knot to the fly line, say three feet of that, and I might use another six, perhaps seven feet of uh, whatever tippet I want to use, say eight-pound tippet, something like that. Loop knot again to the fly. Huge number of flies. The most popular or famous one was called a Crazy Charlie, which is just a, a double bead-headed eye. My favourite was when I caught those uh, at 12 in the morning, was on a, a fly called a, a Mona's, that's M-O-A-N-A, apostrophe S, Mona's or Moana, chilli pepper. That was deadly, and I've since had quite a few other bonefish on that as well. Now, reels, that's a bit important. You can't, you can use a trout reel. If you get anything over about eight or nine pounds, you're probably going to lose it, I'll be honest. And if you go anywhere near the uh, revolving drum handles, you're going to lose a knuckle or get a, a nail ripped off, and then it's back to nails or us to get your nails painted because it's painful. So you want what's called, I call them the direct drive uh, reels that give you the problems there. You want ones with a centre drag, whereby the centre drag's whistling around, taking uh, all, the, all the drags going on the fish, and you can adjust that drag. But the handle, the actual knob of the handle's not whizzing around, stopping you grab it. Because when they go, it's almost... If you try to stop them, you, you can use 15-pound line or, say, an 8-pound, and he's going to break it on 8-9-pound bone, which will pop it. So you have to let them run. The other thing you must do with a fly rod is if you hook up, say, you say, you've, you've, say, say for argument's sake, you've cast 
I don't know, 20 yards to the fish, which is quite a long way for bonefish. You cast 20 yards, you start stripping it, here he comes, here he comes, here he comes, oh my God, he's close to the boat, he's, you know, 15 feet, he's 10 feet, he's 6 feet, bang, you hook up. When you hook up, you must clear that fly line that's all around your feet, make sure it's not around any bits sticking up on the boat, if you're in a boat, or bits of rock or anything, if you're fishing off the shore, you know, they can cut the fly line quickly, and, and release it very, very lightly. Don't let that initial surge with a fly rod you know don't try and power that fish at all one you're going to burn your fingers holding too much pressure on the fly line and second you know once you've once you've cleared that you're going to be going onto your backing which is fine but what you do is you just lightly palm the spool of the reel or you just if you use a scent drag you just get all the all the drag pressure comes from the little knob that you put the uh, preset tension on so that's basically it nine weight outfits no more than half a dozen flies brown would be my favorite brown stroke orange is my favorite color and you should pretty well be uh, set up for a chance at a bonefish. Tarpon, uh, well, I'm, I'm really on a, on a buzz with those at the moment. I've been, uh, recently just come back from Florida. Um, I used to go like two three times a year to Florida different times. and I seem to have somehow got more and more and more into the tarpon fishing. Yeah, they're called the Silver King. They rightly say they have an incredible mouth on them. You know, it's just a, a big underslung chin they've got and they... Uh, uh, just open their gills and mouth quickly and suck huge baits back, you know, just in a flash. So they've almost got no teeth. They're like what I call a suction engulfing type feeder. They grow very, very big. They're uh, huge silver scales all over them. What can I say? They're just, if you get the chance to fish for them, they're almost in a contrast to bonefish, which is an incredibly fast running fish on uh, on lightweight tackle. You know, the tarpon can do pretty much the same thing and it leaps out all over the water on sort of medium to heavy tackle. The downside is that mouth. Unfortunately, it's uh, it's going to work against you. you. You you're going to lose fish. You possibly reckon on a on a say a four to one strike rate. In other words, you're going to get maybe four bites. Well, you might get two hookups out of that, and you might get one to the boat for release. So you know, four bites for one fish would still be pretty good. I mean, I've actually increased that uh, myself, and I'll possibly say if we went out at the right time on the right evening two to one no one can ever say tarpon yeah i'm going to catch every fish i catch because i'm telling you man that does not happen even if you're a professional guide i don't just don't believe them but they about eight years ago i think it was they came out with this hook owners o-w-n-e-r i think it is and it was like like a flattened point to it and it was unbelievable it was like a chemically etched or chemically sharpened point on it and there's no question it's a nice sort of wide gate for live baits for crab fishing and since i've used those or all the guides will tell you this as well they're they're really, really increasing the, uh, you know, the strike rate on, on tarpon. Now, you know, they're a big fish, and you're going to be fishing, uh, say, small lever drag reels for them, or these giant, uh, like a Pen 58, 850SS, those 750SS sizes, sort of heavy-duty saltwater reel for them. They're a big fish. If I could give you an average, say, around somewhere like the, the top spots, like the Florida Keys, you'd say 80, 110. That's the sort of uh, average fish that you're, you're going to catch there throughout their, uh, their summer months. Uh, you can catch them on what you would call a regular British 30-pound boat outfit. 20-pound boat rods, 30-pound boat rods. Don't really fancy 20-pound line. I've done it, but you just take longer getting the fish. I'd say 30 minimum, 50-pound You know, is, is better. But that brings me into the, uh, the second point about how I think I've increased my own hookup and putting the fish in the boat or up to the boat is because they had such a hard mouth, I used to fish... Harder and heavier drags. I guess a lot of people have gone this route as well. And, you know, you're damn near locking the reel up. Well, when you get the take off a 100, 120-pounder, there's a lot of pressure there. And, and I, I can assure you, we will absolutely blister out 50-pound line against full drag. You can put your thumb on there, you'll burn your thumb. But what I found I was doing, I thought I was driving the hook in harder, you see. I'd be banging away on this bloody fish and nearly going over the side. The stretch is coming out the line. And the fish would leap and jump because I'm basically restricting it to such an extent that I'm turning it round, it's facing me, and then it goes apeshit at the boat, or head facing towards me, the hook pings out. Well, then they started doing blue marlin fishing. It was a, a sort of fad or a craze, just fishing single hooks, rigid, uh, on a rigid rig, they called it, with a piece of wire. And instead of fishing a standard strike drag for that on the marlin reels, they started coming way, way back on the, uh, on the drag because they're trolling these lures behind the boat. And as the boat goes along, the marlin comes up, grabs the lure, it turns to go down and away, and only then does the crewman run up and gradually, slowly increase the lever drag pressure, you know, up to sort of the strike drag, 
and they might not put this up for about five to six seconds so the fish is actually turned and it's just been the point of the hook is just barely held and they want to let the fish turn away from the boat and then increase the drag and whack it goes on full tight and it pulls it into the hinge of the mouth and I got to thinking about this I thought this you know this might work for the tarpon that uh, I keep losing I was catching tarpon obviously but yeah, you know, like a lot of people I was losing them I thought there must be a reason for this so coupled to the owner hooks I started backing my drag way off you know I just so it didn't overrun I had a, a light drag on let's say a couple of pounds of pressure that's all uh, left the ratchet on and way I'm telling you way way up my strike to uh, conversion rate went well up to what it is pretty much now so almost halved it's a two to one every, every second bust I expect to get a really good hook up and what was happening was if a fish tarpon takes a bait or, or anything it's coming towards you you can't help that it's going to start jumping in and you sort of slack line you, you can't help it you're probably going to lose that fish but if they hit from the side or they hit sort of head on and you're going on they're taking it away from you they're pulling into the line and into the rod then that light drag just wears that hook in throughout the fight i still go to strike drag after the hookup but i let them have four or five seconds of, of pouring line out under light pressure and also when they start jumping I've dumped about 30 to 50 yards of line in the water. So when they jump, the belly of line in the water is actually helping to hold that hook in. And that's honestly how I, um, I think the hookup rate goes. Now you can catch the tarp and you can catch them off the shore, you can catch them off bridges, you can do inshore trolling for them. So, you know, actually in a, a sort of big game boat, you can go trolling. Or you can do what we do, which is fishing for small boats in the channel. So let's just try and sort of give this a bit of a breakdown. Generally, off the shore, you're going to have to find river mouth areas, lagoons, quiet areas, somewhere where there's some bait going in around boats where they're chopping up bait and chucking it in. And uh, I used to get this around the Isla Marada area. There's lots of places you could uh, fish around the bridges at night. I used to fish off the bridges and the first experience I had with the tarpon took me about three nights. I was just with a load of other guys leaning over in the moonlight, dabbling a, um, I think it was like a sardine or something up and down in the water, jiggling it up and down, slapping it on the surface. And I got a hookup of about 25 pounder. And I lost the fish, went around the bridge stanchion, but that was it. It showed they would actually take a bait at night off the shore. Uh, then I started reading about some chumming that they were doing. I think it was up in Miami. I think it was a guy called, if I can recall, I think his guy's called Bouncer Smith used to um, fish out of Miami. I did fish with him much for hammerheads. And he used to specialise in, uh, in chumming with bits of carcass and stuff like that. So I used to go down one of the docks and climb aboard one of the bows of a 60-foot boat because I could see down in the spotlights in the water where the tarpon were, and I'd chum them up with cubes of uh, rubbish bait, and I did really good. And one night I had one about 25 pounds, and I got another one about, I think it was about 110 pounds. Woke everybody up in the marina at about 1.30 in the morning, and they managed to chingaff, and we dragged it out. And I got photographs of it, you know, it's like six, seven feet long. So you can get some very, very big fish from the shore. You can catch them on lures, but, you know, good chance of losing them, because you... You've got, say, a treble hook, that means you've got three hooks to pull into the fish as opposed to one, so they can often work against each other. These uh, don't really like the treble hooks, so I'd sooner fish a single hook on a lure. Or you can you can go what we call, well, you call it inshore trolling. They specialise in this, like, in Key West, where the water's deeper, and they go out at night, which I still find weird, you know, that these fish are actually taking plugs in pitch-black darkness. And we used to fish with, like, a lead core line down there, I think it was, and a great big Rapala, sort of CD18 size uh, Magnum. And the biggest fish I had, in fact, it was my first up and down there. I've got a picture of it behind me. That was about 112 pounds, I think. At that stage, it was one we brought in. Obviously, tarpon are not a good eating fish. You don't need to bring them in there. A great sport fish, and uh, you really just catch them and get your photograph and let them go. So you can catch them at night with lures. Without a shadow of a doubt, bait fishing is the best, and that brings me on to the the cream of the tarpon fishing down the Florida Keys area, which is fishing for small boats with a guide. We've done it on our own out in boats with a guide. And what you're doing is you're either anchoring or drifting the channels between the flats there at varying states of tide using a float fish, either a, a live pinfish, which you've caught previously, which would be like a tiny black bream, I would say, for English guys, a mullet, which would be about six to eight inches long. They get two runs, the general big mullet, and then they get what's called a silver mullet run, which is in June of a smaller species, and that's a pretty good one to go on because the tarpon really homing on these schools of mullet, and you can hear them busting at night and generally crunching everything down. With the mullet fishing, because they're a six or eight inch fish, you, if you're holding the rod, you actually feel getting what they call a nervous, a nervous bait, a nervous mullet. 
Um, it's supported about six feet away uh, from a big cork, so it's not going to go down in the weeds or go on the bottom. And you know, the, it's chugging away, swimming around. At the tarpon sees it, he starts to wheel towards it, and you get this, you know, huge banging and thumping on the line, and it's most peculiar. And the next thing you know, the water explodes, and there's a six-foot silverfish leaping out with your mullet in its jaws. That, quite literally, is how I caught my best ever tarpon of 160 pounds off Isla Mirada. Though, as you mentioned earlier, I've also had them trolling close in after dark off Key West. The other way you can do it is what's called a blue claw crab, which is, trust me, you don't want to get uh, nipped by a blue claw crab because they uh, really can draw blood. But when you buy them from the bait shops along the tackle shops and stuff like that in the Keys, they're already declawed, if you like. They just push their thumb onto the knuckle of it and it pops off the... the um, the claw so they're perfectly handy to get on one thing i would say is you just make sure you hook them just through the outside of the edge of the carapace of the shell just enough to get a hook hold and my tip is don't use your chemically sharpened owner hook to try and wiggle them and backwards and forwards to make that hole because you're going to blunt it use a, an old second hook that you sharpened up a loose one not tied to anything make the hole initially with that to get the first point of the owner through and then wiggle the owner through so you're not actually damaging that that point on the hook. That's those three. Finally, you've got fly fishing for them. Now, I've caught them on a fly. The biggest I lost actually was about, I think it was about 90 pounds. It was, I can tell you, was it worth it? I have to say no. It was like three days standing on a bow of a flats boat, staring into the oblivion, frying my brains out, waiting for a six foot shadow to come along. You get the fly to it in a matter of seconds. All I can remember is strip, strip, strip all the time. Uh, the next thing I remember is 150 yards of fly line's gone and everything's it's gone to doo-doo. You lost the fish and that was uh, the excitement. I've obviously caught them there, you know, 15, 20, 30, that sort of size. That's brilliant size for fly fishing. Ten pounders are ideal on an English outfit. They just use big dress flies, like a big streamer fly. It's not rocket science. You, you, know, you, you try and spot the fish or an area the fish are known to be rolling in. You cast a fly out, big heavy 12-weight fly outfit. Could be a sink tip or a floating line, certainly not a sinking line. Again, fly rules must be anti reverse, you know, you want to keep well away from the knuckle wrapping of the handles. And stripping, as they call it in the States, was what well, we probably made a bit of a cock up to start with on the first few trips doing it. My strip is, you know, really whacking the fly in about two feet long pools. Their stripping is just barely moving the fly. They actually mean three or four inches, which is trouting to us. So when they go strip, 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 they mean you know, three inch, three inch, three inch, and we're going two feet, two feet, two feet, and we're just taking the bloody fly away from the uh, from the tarpon. It's a good fight, there's no question about it. And, you know, I've got no sour grapes because I haven't had a 150 pounder on a fly rod. I've not really bothered whether I do or not. I've had fished 160 pounds on a, on a light bait rod, even this last year. I had one with my son, about 140 pounds, uh, got it in the boat, photographed it. I'm quite happy to fish, in fact I am happier fishing say 50 pound line on a 20 or 30 pound rod, so I'm overlining the rod, I get a brilliant scrap but less chance of busting off, I mean there's enough trouble with the hooks falling out of these guys, the last thing I want to do is fish a light line, spend all that money travelling to the Keys or wherever it is in the world busting the fish off, if you want the absolute pinnacle of fish, it's over in Gabon in West Africa, in the, uh, I guess it's the Gabon River there, average fish, close to 200 pounds i know of one english guy i think he had one 280 pounds just standing on a on a sandbar in the river lobbing out like a two pound bait by hand on a 50 pound boat rod and he still lost fish so they're they're an incredible fighting fish and again if you get the chance to go for them you've got to do it but watch out guys because you do get hooked on it yourself as well yeah the third of the uh, the shallow skinny water fighters probably almost the most difficult one to catch I think really is the permit which is a I suppose well I say it's like a well it is a species of jack but if you don't know what a jack is it's it, it's tough but it's a, a big um, I don't know what it is it's a laterally compressed fish with a brown snub nose and a deep V tail I think that's what they call it lateral compression so uh, a bit like a a freshwater bream as it were but uh, trust me you know if a bream went through the water at the speed a permit does bits of fly off it you know they have fins all over the surface the permit is a strong fast dogged fighter that is almost considered the ultimate colt fish to catch on a fly run. in fact i know it is i know permit on a fly used to be limited to something like a hundred people in history has only ever caught a permit on a fly is a lot more than that now obviously because saltwater fly fishing has progressed to you know to so many people in popularity my own experience with them is 
is nothing like the bonefish and tarp and I'm not going to say I'm any expert on permit I've caught them to about I don't know 34 35 pounds caught them on my own uh, gone out in rental boats and caught them but not big numbers you know I've really well I don't believe there's actually a, I think it's a permit expert you know the there's people that understand the uh, the ways to catch them and the wares, but when it comes to fly fishing for them, they they really are tricky. There's almost not an expert for them. So my initiation, <coughs> excuse me, into permit fishing was on a on a trip. I used to go to the Cayman Islands quite a lot, and uh, we fished little Cayman. We were doing a bonefish story, and we wanted to get a permit on a fly for a magazine. Um, had the editor with me, Chris Dawn, and. We've been flogging away with a guide at the top end of Little Cayman where these uh, permit came in. Not huge fish, I don't know, five pound, eight pounds, you know, but on a regular trout outfit, which is what the story demanded we call them on, it would have been, uh, you know, a real worm burner to get that line going across the flats. But it just wasn't going to happen, you know. You just, you wade out and wade out and wade out and then you try and position yourself. The guide's telling you which way to cast. And the only time you see them feed is when you see that fork, top of the upper lobe of their forked tail come out of the surfaces when they tip their head down. You can't actually feel much when they pull. You know, it's very, very tricky on a, on, a, on a fly to catch them. Anyway, we didn't get any on there, and I asked the guy, I really, really want to catch one of those permits. So he said, sure, we'll do it in like a flash on bait. Uh, and he just started digging in the sand with his hands, uh, reached down about right up to his armpit, pulled this crab out. I think he broke the legs off it or something uh, constructive like that. Put it on a hook, on a, on a, on a spinning rod, like a bonefish rod, which, because I say, we did want to do some bonefishing. I uh, waded out with him, and the editor sat on the shore, not uh, not too happy if I was going to hook or not. I wasn't sure what, what he was going to feel. First cast, first permit, he just ate it out of sight. Because let's face it, folks, that's what they eat. They eat crabs. They don't eat flies. It's only people that are making it difficult for themselves by tying flies on the end. If you want to catch a permit, their primary uh, food source is crabs. You know, they go around grabbing out crabs and crunching them up. So it shows you uh, that, that, you know, go with bait if you do want one. On the flats in, in, in places like the Florida Keys which is my experience of them, Yeah, they are very hard to catch. You can catch them, but it's finding the fish is difficult. You know, they're almost nomadic. They don't necessarily turn up in certain areas at certain times. They could be anywhere. They just sort of pop out of the, of the sea grasses there, and you think it's a bonefish tail, it turns into a permit. And they are very, very ultra-spooky in the shallow water. It's almost like their nerves are jangling. So you've got to get that fly, which is invariably a crab pattern, you know, in brown, or a shrimp pattern in brown, You've got to get that flying right in front of their faces without spooking them. They're possibly a bit less aggressive than a than a bonefish on the fly. Uh, you know, when they do want it, they're they're still sort of picky. Whereas a bonefish, when you when you give and he does want it, you can barely strip the fly away from him. So you can get them on the flats on the fly rods. My personal preference is you shrimp or crab. They call them live baits, but you know you skew them on the hook. Maybe the crab, if you lick it through the edge of the uh, shell, the legs are still going. You know that. Uh, you, you can fish it as a dead bait as they did in the Cayman Islands, pull the legs off, you get some smell in the water that way, or you can do it as a visual crab, in other words, don't damage it, just cast it out as a crab. So if you want a permit, crabs are the way to the go. Rental boats, I did catch one once while we were bone fishing on shrimp, what we call stake-up fishing, which is anchoring the boat with a, generally with a push pole. You don't want an anchor, it's too noisy, in maybe three feet of water, something like that, you know, waist-deep water, three, no more than four feet of water, certainly. Uh, six spinning rods, 10-12 pound line, fixed ball reels, 8, eight foot long uh, rods, tiny egg sinker, I think it's an eighth of an ounce egg sinker, onto the hook, uh, bait up with shrimp, and then when the bonefish uh, picks up the shrimp, it actually picks the lead weight up at the same time, and you, you get a run that's not snagging on the bottom, otherwise, you know, if you can imagine the lead was, say, three feet away from the hook, as per normal running ledger rig, as the bonefish is moving along with the bait, he's bumping that lead along the bottom, it's going to snag in a piece of coral, he fills the drag, spits it out, or worse, you know, you get you get snagged up properly and bust off. But we were fishing away there and I had what we thought was a world record bonefish hooked up. It took me, uh, it took 20 minutes at least uh, battling this, this big permit to get it to the boat. I got it to the boat and I put it in the live well because I figured the the owner, Richard Stanzik, there's no way he's ever going to believe I've caught a permit in his, in his live world because everybody says you must have a guide to catch a permit. And we went back in, put in the live world, raced the boat back in, got it weighed officially at Bob Murray's. It was 17 pounds, so a nice permit on a, on a, on a sort of 12 pound spinning rod outfit, and released it there and then. Uh, that's my claim to fame. However, with a permit, you get 
You get fish through the winter down, well, the Marquesas, which is a group of islands, down in Key West or off Key West, quite a way down from off Key West, but the, the guide boats run out there. The flats down there in the winter, for some reason, do get good runs of permit. Not the real giant ones, you know, a fish, I guess up to about 20 pounds, 10 to 20 pounds. And I fly fish for those. I haven't got any, but it is the place to go if you want to, to catch one on a fly rod, if you've absolutely got to do it, go down there. You can use standard bonefish outfits for them, you know, fly rods. You don't need the tarp and 12 weights. You can use a 9-weight outfit. It's really basically exactly the same as a bonefish, but the, the fly is the important thing. It needs to be a big shrimp pattern in brown, or it needs to be a crab pattern. That's my uh, my opinion. Now, those fish that are feeding on the flats... Eventually, through the spring months in the Keys, they will start to migrate offshore. They're going to start running out to the reefs and the wrecks. And there's several wrecks that have been uh, blown up as uh, as dive sites in the wrecks, and they've been inhabited by these these permit. Now, nobody really knows whether they spawn on or over the wrecks, or they just station themselves over these wrecks before they go on to spawn elsewhere, say deeper in the reef or deep in the water. But you can definitely catch a monster permit trust me by going out to these wrecks you you generally would go out with a with a big game boat or you don't need it so you could do a half day trip you want to go midday when the sun's high and you go out to these wrecks in about 150 feet of water something like that, 90 feet of water not too deep it's on the edge of the reef and the guy goes up in the you know the captain goes up in the top of the flying bridge in the tuna tower in fact not the flying bridge right at the top so he can get the best access seeing through the water the least glare and he's going to be looking for where these schools of permit are feeding in amongst the uh, small tuners and stuff, skipjacks and stuff like that. Down on the deck, you're just told instructions. You either do it yourself or you get the crewman to do it for you. Uh, you're just fishing with crab. That's all you fish with. And just make a hook in the side, pretty much like I, I mentioned for the, um, the tarpon. Make a, a hook hole with an old hook. Don't use the one you're actually going to have on the fishing line because you can blunt it, just take the edge off it. Free line is the best way. Pretty big crab, you know. We call them medium-sized crabs. I mean, I can't, I can't measure it. Say, two inches across would be a two, two and a half inches across would be a good casting size. You cast out with a fixed ball reel, good drag, saltwater series reels. You know, got a good smooth drag. Generally, minimum, minimum thirty pound line, which does seem a bit overkill. But these fish generally would start at about twenty pounds. I would say they start at twenty pounds. And even this last summer, I went out with my son and some friends. And uh, we caught someone, I got the job of crew in the boat, the decky wouldn't turn up, and uh, the, uh, the captain said, well, I'll take you out, but you've got to do the, uh, all the baiting and casting. Well, that's like manna from heaven for me. And we went out, we caught some, and basically he sight casts, I sight cast in, and he's spotting them. And he lets it sink, and the, the permit will flash on its side, and the skipper's looking for this flash of silver, and that's when he tells you, you know, lock up, or, or just wind, wind, wind. So he sees the take, you rarely, rarely feel it, feel it to actually take the bait and you just crank until you can't turn the handle anymore and then it's just an immense hanging on crash dive to stop it getting into the wreck now this year we have one well even i've never seen it all the years i was going there are professional photographers out with us and and uh, you know i don't think he'd had a permit uh, we got him one permit i hooked it up gave him the rod uh, fish was about 25 pounds something like that and we used the last giant crab of the day because the light was fading the skipper couldn't see the the permit so he said just put the heaviest crab on and we used a small jig as well to give it a little bit of weight to try and sink it and it sunk out of sight and, and, and the skipper says no good one he said I can't see it anymore and I said I'm sure I felt a bump on the line he said well just let it sit there this crab was virtually dead and yeah sure enough I got a tape wound down and it was obviously at the bottom of the school which we assume would be a bigger fish gave him the rod well I can assure you he didn't even get one turn on the handle if he had a, a video camera there you had the most well just immense blistering take in one run it took possibly we gunned the boat the big game boat 40 footer to get it away from the wreck put pressure on it he had both hands on the rod giant pen 850 ss you know saltwater series reel full full drag on 30 pound line stripped it i tell you to the bone and the line exploded at the bottom end of the spool size of the fish the skipper put at 50 pounds now that's what permits like and although they're tough on a fly if you say to me Graham which one do you want to catch do you want to catch a, a 15 pound on a fly rod or you want the chance of a 50 on a, on a heavier gear yeah, trust me the 50 on the heavier gear is going to get the vote every time really when you think about it 
the tarpon we talked about, the bovers we talked about, I know I've definitely mentioned pretty simple basic rigs. You know, like we fish in the UK, we have clements spoons, flying booms, bits of brass, nuts, bolts, everything, you know, plastic beads, spinners, spoons. Oh yeah, and the bait, you know, it's almost an afterthought. Uh, for the better fishing, it's just seemed to be the the harder fish, you know, the tougher fish to catch. You don't need all that gadgetry, as it were, I suppose you call it. When I think about it, you know, the bonefish and the permit and the tarpon, it's just almost a hook and a bait, you know. The the um, subsidiary stuff is is maybe with the tarpon is a cork. A bonefish, you might have a tiny leg sinker, nothing else, that's it. Permit, nothing, it's a hook. It would generally be that owner pattern's good again. I, I really do like those owner hooks. Uh, six or eight O hooks. They must be sharp, must be strong. No no need for a leader, you don't need a leader. You just some of them do actually use leaders, I can tell you why later in the uh, in the day and later in the year when the fish do get a bit hammered, they use fluorocarbon, tie on a, a four foot length of a fluorocarbon leader. But you know, that's at the back end of the season when the fish have barely been under the cosh from all the different boats over these wrecks. Uh, as a, a general opinion would be thirty pound line, regular mono, no braid, they won't use braid on these big fish. Any fast running fish they they're not into braid at all, you just, tear the hook out they'll bust it you know they don't need the uh, bite detection because those three species you're going to catch on the uh, shallow waters are all very very close to you so braids are no no mono's good because that uh, stretch factor they got 10% or so is actually working in your favour so yeah for permit it's uh, really nothing more than a hook Okay, so we've looked individually at the three species that go to make up this particular grand slam in terms of location tactics and bait but that's when you don't have to catch one species, then rush around like a madman looking for the other two. The pressure then is really on, and your approach to each must presumably change because then it's a race against time. So with that in mind, what would you say is the best way of quickly catching one of each species, regardless of size, to complete this specific objective? Well, as I look at that, I've not yet done it yet, and I've had, I've had sort of the two out of the three in various mixes, but I've never done the three out of the three and you know it's it's not high on my list of priorities i'm not bothered if i guess they do fantasy slams if i think is it having one of three on a fly rod and you know you can another slam you can get them on bait fish rods and i mean it just goes on and on but if you do really want to go for let's say the grand slam of uh, uh, of that species there would be a definite specific time that would give you a really really good shot at it you know i mean if somebody said graham i've got to do it can you take me out to do it i'd say right we're going to go in June. You go in early June, which is a crossover period. The permit won't yet have migrated uh, fully off, off the flats to the, to the wrecks. They'll be on the wrecks, but they won't have disappeared and left the wrecks. So you've got the permit, they're in position. The tarpon are probably at their peak now. May used to be the peak in the Keys, but now I honestly think it's June is, is the hot month for the, uh, for the tarpon. Uh, and the bonefish are there as well. Now the tricky thing is, as the water warms up, and this applies for anywhere, not just the Keys, the bonefish will move off the flats. They don't like, you know, the really, really hot temperatures there. So you're out of the three, the bonefish, ironically as it sounds, might be the tricky one. So here's how I do it. You've got to catch them really in the daytime. You, you, that's how they say the Grand Slam, but the technical one is within a 24-hour period. So I find that can work in your favour. The first thing I would do, I would do dawn for the bonefish. The reason for that being they've had all night to settle down. They're going to be feeding on, you'd find somewhere they're feeding on a flood tide, so they're confident, they're hungry, but more important, there's a lot of boats running around in Florida. You don't get the boat traffic. So first thing dawn would be my absolute prime time to get the bonefish one out of the way. That would take you through till, say, 11 o'clock in the morning. You could go back, you could have a coffee, you take your time, or you could just go out fishing for the next one. The next one I would do, I go to one of the wrecks, say, out of sight of uh, Alligator Light, uh, in front of Bud Mary's, where they, well, you know they're there, they're, they're always there every year, these permit, and I would target them in midday when the sun is overhead. If you're on holiday there, you've got much, no choice of the weather, you can't pick the weather, but this is, you know, this is how it should be done. And you do your sight casting for the permit, say, between the hours of about 11 and 3 in the afternoon. After three, the sun's starting to go round, and your skipper, as good as he is, is going to get a bit of flare and glare on the surface. He's not going to be able to spot those takes. You'll be sort of touch ledger or feeling the line for the take, and then you might have to add a jig. In other words, you take the hook off and you tie a jig on that's got a hook integrated in the lead. So it's sinking it, and that really gets it down deeper, but it keeps you in contact you know, with your crab bait. So you've got, let's assume you hook up, you might need, let me say three permit hooks up to get one 
because you know they know that wreck's there a lot of them have been hooked and released before so when you get the you know the permit hooked up he's going to sound straight into that wreck so you may lose the odd fish but don't forget you know it's in the middle of the afternoon three or four hours quite a long time then you come back in you got two out of the three the sort of easiest option but almost the hardest riskiest one will be the tarpon well i wouldn't even waste my time fishing for them during the daytime you do bonefish at dawn you do permit during the highest uh, elevation of the sun and obviously yeah the tarpons are night feed you're going to fish for them at night so i would start fishing about quite early about six you know wherever your guide thought was best for tidal conditions and then you got all the way through to midnight to catch two baits i take i wouldn't take the live mullet i know they catch on live mullet you also lose a lot it's quite a big bait so i wouldn't use that i'd use crab and i'd use pinfish Flowfish of no more than about six feet on 100 pound mono leaders owner hooks light drags as i've told you to let them you know, start running and then ease a drag up to pull the hook in during the fight and i honestly think you you get your tarpon maybe you'd lose one maybe you lose two maybe you lose three you'd have to be unlucky you know to lose three on a good biting uh, evening between say six hours that's from six till twelve personally i think you could get lucky and and get it all over and done with by about eight o'clock but you know that's the grand slam <laughs> that's if you want it but that would be my way of doing it certainly earlier you mentioned other types of slam and with that in mind you recently recorded an interview for audio angling with zig gregorek owner of the corner specimen course fishery anglers paradise who according to an igfa press release has completed the ultimate grand slam by becoming the first angler in history to take three royal slams these being for all nine species of billfish, all eight species of tuna, and the IGFA's nine specified sharks, which fits very nicely into what we've just been talking about here. So it's over to you and Zig. Everybody would know, say, oh, there's marlin. They know it's, it's a fish with a long, pointy bill, but, you know, you have white marlin, uh, uh, blue marlin, both Atlantic and Pacific, <coughs> two different species of selfish, Atlantic and Pacific, and you've got the broad-billed swordfish, so... I mean, especially things like the spearfish and the swordfish, quite a few people will have caught, say, two, maybe three species of marlin. But not many is going to pick up those extra ones that's going to get you the actual, what they call either the grand slam or, or right, basically a, a slam is what a, a species of fish. So what's the, what's the first one okay. you can get in a day? Explain some of the slams uh, for, yeah. for, for the There's people. There's several. All slams are something worthy to aim for. Um, you've got the grand slam where you have a lucky day and you can catch up through three different species of marlin or tuna or shark in a day. Uh, my daughter seems to have picked up some of my luck. Last year in Kenya, she caught her first marlin, etc. Then she went out again uh, with her husband and they went out on their own in the boat. Uh, absolutely unbelievable. I think it was Steve, skipper was Steve. Uh, first marlin was a black second marlin was a stripey and third one was a sailfish so oh, she in one day too, yeah. one day so she achieved something which i haven't as yet and god willing she sort of will follow in some of my footsteps and everything else as well so now you've done it just not once you've actually done the uh, billfish royal slam twice you've completed yeah. that one right through with spearfish and uh, sawfish now only recently was it we're looking at uh, what, uh, this last september 2010 you got uh, you picked a fish up in mauritius tell me about that one yeah well going out just sort of going back a bit after i did the royal slam of all the marlin uh, I thought to myself, what is my next challenge? Uh, in between while I was having that challenge, I had another one. I wanted to be the first one to catch three different species of shark over a thousand. We'll come back to that later. There's so many things. We haven't got enough time to finish everything yet. But anyway, I thought to myself, ah, while I was fishing for the marlin, I was catching all different tunas and all different sharks. Looking at the Royal Slam for those... I only needed one more shark and two different tuna in order to do the Royal Slams of all of those. When I first went for it, it was quite exciting because nobody had yet done the Royal Shark Slam or the Royal Tuna Slam. In the process of going for the Tuna Slam, uh, sorry, Shark Slam, I went to Boston Green Harbor. The crew were nice, the skipper unfortunately what he said and what he did were two different things yep. you do get that sometimes i said my main objective is to go for thresher shark have you caught them oh yes they're here yeah no problem come along yeah yeah guarantee you'll catch them uh, so i thought yes i'll go there but the other reason i went there 
they also had tuna at that time, and I wanted to catch a northern bluefin, which meant I only had one tuna left to go, same as one shark. Yeah. Um, so off we went. I quickly realized that it was more words than mouth, because threshers, although they've got very, very big tails, they've got very small mouths, even the very big ones, and it's smaller baits, etc., as opposed to big ones like great white or tiger, where you use 10, 15, 20-pound fish. Mm. You've got to use very small ones, slightly different techniques, so I quickly spend a couple of days, you quickly realize, whenever I go fishing abroad, you respect the wisdom of the crew and the skipper because they've been there, that's their livelihood. Irrespective of what you think you know, they know more. However, having traveled around the world, I can quickly see if they know what they're talking about on some of the species or some of the things, yeah, or they yes, just... Yeah. Um, and this is what annoys me with some skippers, they think you know nothing. Uh, yeah. um, they tell you what you want to hear, yeah, so guess right. what they're and doing. then uh, ignore you. I quickly realized it's not happening. I said, right, change tactics because there was a storm brewing. Let's just, and we didn't fish for five days. Let's go for the, there's some giant tuna. Mm. We went for tuna. I managed to catch a couple. Uh, so my northern bluefin, which now meant I was two steps from heaven. It's only one step on each side. Only one tuna and one, one shark. shark. We went shark fishing in San Diego where I came across another skipper. Um, where we remained friends, I sort of inaugurated. I made him actually an honorary five seas member. We made somebody from, what you call it, uh, Boston, uh, Massachusetts one as well. He wants to wear the five seas t-shirt. Well, you've got to be initiated. So we got some weed, ice down the pants, threw him in the sea and quite good. So I've initiated quite a few people, made him honorary members all over the world. Uh, so the crew was quite good. I wouldn't mind going back with him. Went to San Diego, got on very well, but unfortunately didn't have, that's why I caught a small great white on the last one. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, quite nice. We had some Mako and he was quite pleased. He said it was the first great white they've had for about 10 years. Well, but, you are lucky then, Jake. <laughs> yeah. no question. But yeah. the whole point is he was excited about great yeah. white. They're catching tuna all the, uh, sorry, threshers all the time. Yeah. I just you want, want the thresher. Thresher. Yeah. I can see, yeah. So anyway, it didn't happen. And then I thought, right, only one more uh, tuna to go. Where shall I go? So I did some research, ended up going to this mania, which is a lovely place. It's oldy world. It reminds me of the West Country. Every place is called Launston, Holdsworthy, oh, really? this, yes. Exeter, and it, it is rather primitive, which is nice, like the West Country, not primitive, but oldie-worldy, yes. sort of yes. still hasn't been spoiled by high-rise apartments and all these great centres. Um, and the first day we went out there, one to the sea, one to this, whoop, well, up, got it. And then I ended up with my biggest ever tuna, just below 200 pounds was quite nice, fantastic. This is a southern bluefin, because southern obviously bluefin, that's going to yeah. be a tough one to get, isn't it? Yeah. Well, everything is stuffed till you've caught it. Once yeah. you've caught yeah. it, I mean, like my uh, black marlin, I couldn't catch one, it took me years and years, I finally got it in, as I said, Bazaruto. When I went to uh, the Cairns, Australia, I had half a dozen, when I was going yeah. for some, you know. I see, it's the way so it goes, when you're looking for something else. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, but that was wonderful. I became the first person to catch all the tuna species of the world. Until then, nobody has done it. Since then, one or two have. And it was fantastic. I think we had the Times, the Telegraph, all the heavy newspapers, and we had quite a lot on everything else, the radio. Now, you must radio, be one of the few people, certainly the only people in Britain, there can't be many people in the world that have got all three of these certificates, you know, yeah. the, the billfish, the tuna, and the shark. I mean, yeah. the governing body, so people know, is the... Uh, uh, IGFA, the International sure. Game Fish Association, and they govern all the world records and certification. But, you know, do they tell you whether or not there's, uh, you, you're one of the few people, if the only person to get all three of those certificates? I've had some nice descriptions, I'm not going to, whatever, where I've been described in glowing terms, uh, so I'll leave it at that. Luck has got a lot to do with it, but at the end of the day, uh, as we all know, you help to make your own luck. You don't get your luck thinking about it, lying in bed, whatever. Yeah. I have travelled the world, I have taken risk, it has cost me a fortune, uh, but at the end of the day, Angler's Paradise has helped me. But it's like going to conventions and going to uh, publicity or whatever, because yeah. every time I go out, I've been fortunate enough, it ended up in the press, it ended up in this, and it's... It does One to help the other, really. Yeah. yeah, 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 and this is why I waited such a long time, but once you do it, I wanted, as I said, to do all three, so I done, or I did the tuna, we then did the shark, which is absolutely fantastic, and then after that, it only came 
it came about partly by accident, actually. I was reading um, sort of the newsletter from the IGFA sort of saying, oh, somebody has had the mile in length two times, three times, whatever. Oh, so you can do it more than once. Right, let me have a look now. I, I only needed one more fish to do my billfish royal slam twice, and there was a swordfish, only had one of those. All the other species had three, four, five, a dozen, or whatever. Of each, yeah. So, yeah. so I thought, right, the swordfish can be one of the hardest, because, well, all the species, you have to target them, really. Um, you have to fish at night. Yeah. It's deeper water, and it's a completely different thing. Um, the first one I caught was from Kenya, actually. I used to live there. Uh, that was some time ago. That was targeted when I was going for the Royal Slam. And then I tried several other places. We tried in Kenya last year when my daughter... Oh, sorry, this year, actually. Yes. Yeah, February this year, wasn't it? Yeah, February, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember, yeah. Had a hit, but didn't catch one. Yeah. Then I thought I'd go to Mauritius. It was my wife's 60th birthday. I tried persuaded to go to other places because at that particular time, September... Fishing-wise, is probably not the best time for my type of species because my other target now is to break the world record of species over a thousand pounds. I hold the shark record with three different species. The world record of species is four. So the next fish I catch, I'll equal the world record. And if it's a shark, I'll break a world record and equal a world record. Uh, so the objective was to go for big fish, try that, was the wrong time. So, so what, just mention on this, just look at this certificate we see it's got here. Just tell us about those three different uh, big sharks you've got, because the certification's here, it's from the IGFA by Michael Leach, it's all uh, yep. authentic, it's a great white of 1300, a tiger of 1100 or plus, and a six skill of 13. Just uh, tell the yeah. listeners exactly a little bit of a story on one of each of those sharks, finish us off. Well, sharks, I, I love all fishing, I mean... In England, uh, around here, the first big fish I caught uh, were blues and things like that. You go out there and it's fantastic. The fish that pulls lines off you and is in control till you learn how to take control. I've always wanted fish of over a thousand pounds. I'm dreaming, I'm still dreaming of a mile over a thousand pounds. I think I may have had one, but it wasn't landed. It wasn't measured properly, so I can't claim it. And I heard you can get the great white in Struce Bay in South Africa. I managed to sort it out, find out how to get there. I used some friends of mine and off we went. It was wonderful. It was measured. And the interesting thing of that one, it was caught only a week before by another Englishman from Foster's. He was there, he goes around all over the place and he was quite proud. Oh, I caught a thousand pound fish, 1300. So we had a little bit of banter. Um, Then when they brought it in, it had already been tagged because at that time, they were stopping, nearly stopping great whites being caught. Fish but right, yes, you can just... Uh, tag only, wouldn't it? Tag only. Yes, I remember so that. So yeah. he was, the skipper was so pleased, because the first fish he ever had come in tagged was with me. Oh, so really? That's even so you, you got, a, yeah. you got a, a, a shark that somebody else had yeah. tagged? But it only, only caught first a week before. So oh, what so she did with the line, the week, yeah. I, I've got the wire trace over there, you can see it. It's a hook, massive. They cut the wire and leave it in the thing. And by the time we brought it in, it had rusted off, there was no damage, no nothing, and it took another hook. Um, And that one was my first £1,000 fish. Since then, I've had several sharks of £1,000. When going in Ascension, uh, I was one of the pioneers there, Uh, we're going for Marlin, we've had them to about 800, all sorts of different things. Um, There were six gill sharks, and I've caught them to well over 1,300, the current record holder was on a fish I was on and when we released mine he said your fish was bigger than the current world record yes. uh, but that was released no problem I've caught them now to I think £2,000 I was going to bring that in but unfortunately the crane was broken that one had been 2000 so the six scale was caught six skills I believe you've caught them yes got the six skills yeah. Yeah, yeah, deep they, water fish yeah. very deep water hard it takes work. a long time it is hard work but it's more of a tug of war as opposed to some of the others but depending what line, if you're using 130, basically if you've got a fighting chair, it takes you half an hour to an hour <laughs> because it's about five, six Straight hundred down. feet down. Yeah, down yeah. Yeah. So it's more of a tug of war, but it's the fish is bloody ugly. Have you yeah, seen them? Yeah, they're, they're, they're big, they're big too, they're they're big. Big. Get them um, 
And you got a tiger shark there. The well, tiger where did you shark, go for that? That was with Michael Leach. He was then the uh, sort of IGFA uh, president. I remember, uh, this is where I'm lucky, I meet friends and contacts all over the place. And he suggested, if I'm going to Australia, he knew that I already had two sharks over a thousand pounds. He says, there's a good chance of catching a tiger. If you catch one of those, you will then, how shall I say, be the first person in the world to catch three different species. So that's what we did. We went out there. Where did you go from in Australia? Say? Cairns. Oh, from Cairns. Yeah. So you weren't interested in the black marlin there? You oh, were yeah, just... I went both. You went I got both. a black marlin, yeah. and what they said, this is uh, what they told me. He said, if you want to catch a tiger, what you then do is catch a marlin and chum with a marlin, <laughs> yeah. uh, and that'll bring it in. And that's what we ended up doing, and that's how I caught it. And that's how you got it, yeah. yeah. And did uh, you see it in the water before it took, or did it take yeah. down deep? It, this was the last day. I'd given up hope. I've had about half a dozen sharks which we sort of brought in, measured and put them back because I wanted to claim it, I wanted to be 100% certain it was whatever and all of them were about 700, 800 using the formula, you know, sure. length, 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 and length and yeah, that, yeah. 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 Oh, well, we're using the Australian formula, they're just going for the length but the formula the IGFA accept is length and girth Yes. and this is now the last day, it's gone midnight I've run out of my supplies, no I took some Drambuie and some whiskies and because we had I like sort of, um, sort of Irish coffee or whatever at night when you, because you're sleeping on the boat, you're mi hundreds yes. of miles out. Yes. And I said, right, well, this is it. We might just well drift. We couldn't drift before at night because the seas were a bit rough. This was the first time, so I, they, they all went to sleep and we're just drifting along. All of a sudden, <laughs> the line went like that, and I thought, oh bloody hell! Uh, jumped in the chair, picked it up, put the ratchet on, boom. And the tigers, of all the fish I've caught, I haven't caught makers very big, only just over 100. And they're supposed to be some of the best fighters. The great whites are quite good. But the tigers, of all the sharks, I think are some of the best. They go up, bring them up, and they say, sod you, boom, they go down. Oh, up yeah. and down. After about third or fourth time, because all the other ones were around about 700, 800. After the fourth time, fifth time, you bring it in. After the tenth time with this one, yeah. I was actually, my arms were hurting. You nearly had enough. I was almost beginning to think, oh, sod it, do I have to? And then it was the middle of the night, so they can't see what's happening. So after time, the shark is coming into the boat. Yes. Um, so they have to suddenly go forward. forward so it doesn't get caught in the propellers, doesn't get underneath. And I'm saying, don't do that because it takes all the line out. And I'm calling yeah. them and you, they're calling me a whinging pom. Anyway. We got it in, it was an oh, awesome sight, I got pictures of that, it's absolutely unbelievable. So it's, it's fantastic, I was very, very happy. So now your target, to finish off, for the four over the thousand, is, is, is going to be a blue marlin, black marlin, what's going to be your easiest shot? Well, it's not, none of them are going to be easy, none of them but going to be easy what's going to be your target? The ones that I'd like to try are blue marlin, black marlin, there's always a chance which I'll try. Shark-wise, these are there, but very rare. Thrushes, yes. Mako. The other one, which I'm trying to find out, is the Greenland shark. Oh, I've heard about those. They're yes, similar yes, yes. to the six gill, but I'm trying to find out some or other, a boat or, or whatever. I've tried with Greenland or Iceland, and uh, yes, we can do it for you, sir. Uh, yeah, all right, I'm interested. Or oh, you can hire the whole tra uh, trawler, yeah. 10,000 pounds per day or something. Really? Yeah, there's a limit to everything. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, yeah, instead of, you know, 500 or something. Oh, good. So I'm still looking at But there are several different sharks. I like the hammerhead can go. But this yes. will be more... It's difficult to target them, but as long as you're out there, there's always a chance. I mean, part of fishing... When I mentioned my first marlin took me an hour, hour and a half to get in. Last year, I was lucky enough to five marlin... Four were over 500, 600 or more pounds, even 700. The longest one of those took me to get in was less than half an hour. Oh, really? Because once you know what you're the doing, technique. your technique, yeah. the boat is helping, they're going backwards, bringing you, you know, what you can wind line in, etc. The first time, all I did is sort of didn't use my body as such, I just used my arms. And everything so, wears out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But uh, so it, it's still so, although I haven't. But as my, all my strength as I had many years ago, I've got more wisdom. That's true. That's you my story. Very, yeah, well, I mean, you've, <laughs> you've got uh, an incredible set of statistics here anyway, Zig, and uh, I'm sure we're going to see some other records go, and it won't be just yours. I think here at Angler's Paradise, uh, 
you know, you've got some big catfish. What, what size do you reckon they'll come in, in future years? What, what's your honest well, opinion you think they're going to go to here? I think from what I know, and you can check the records, the biggest that have been authenticated coming in small and growing on are here. We've had them to over 60, and this is when they've been put in at only about 6, 8 inches. There are a lot of cats bigger than that, uh, but the history may be suspect, oh, this one just suddenly turned up or whatever. They suddenly uh, appear from stockings, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, this one here, I've got the permission, I've got this, they've grown. I'm hoping to get them to over 100, although they have been caught over 100. I don't think anybody can claim in the same level. Yeah, know, same level, from, from the beginning. Yeah, from yeah. the beginning. So those are there. I know we've got the biggest golden tension, Golden Orth. For whatever reason, they haven't been claimed at the right time. Nobody's up there. I'm very pleased and proud of those. Carp-wise, we're still waiting for our first 40. I will get it in Nirvana, one of our day-ticket lakes. Um, the reason we have it at Angler's Paradise, what I provide at Angler's Paradise is a paradise for your average angler, a family man. We can bring him. You go to a swimming pool. We've got lovely accommodations, a licensed bar play area family can enjoy he can have a holiday and he can enjoy his fishing and in order to enjoy your fishing you've got to be able to catch if you're not catching uh, it's, it's pointless, it's yeah. pointless. From the point of view of a fishing man yeah <laughs> yeah so this is why as a specimen hunter i'm prepared to no i'm not prepared to blank i hate blanking yes but i do it on a regular basis because if you want to catch big fish you've got to wait you've yeah. got to wait so i've deliberately marked like the specimen lake has got over 30 20s and 30s in there. The main carp lake's got over 120s in there. Um, so your man has got a good chance. So he's going to get a big fish. Maybe yeah. get his personal best as well. So. And he can enjoy himself, the family can enjoy himself. There's so much leisure to see kids catching their first fish here. Since we've been going for 20 years, I've had some of these kids come along with mum and dad, and they've now come back with their own family. Oh, that's good. That's interesting. From what's been said then, the type of slam you achieve can also depend to no small degree on a grand slam of non-angling inputs, these being plenty of money, plenty of free time, and the one you can't buy, which is plenty of luck. My thanks then to Graham and Zig for pointing us in the right direction here, even if it is a road that few of us will unfortunately ever get to travel. Music